welcome back to In the Queue. I am your co-host, Andrew, and I really feel like poor man got short shrift in this title here, you guys. Poor man got no love. Uh, Andrew. Although I know why. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Andrew, uh, <laughs> we're not so different, you and I, and things are not what they seem. <laughs> Uh, okay. <laughs> That's Phil for everybody out there. He's the other co-host. Sorry. <laughs> He's going to spend this whole time doing impressions from the film. Neglect- neglected to, to introduce myself that last time. Sorry. Sorry, everyone. Yeah. Yeah, you did. Uh, <laughs> the film we're talking about today, in case you're wondering, is Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. Thomas Alfredson film from a couple years back. That uh, stars Gary Oldman in what, curiously enough, was his first Oscar-nominated role in a very, very impressive career. This is the first time he was ever nominated. Uh, It is a recommendation from Christy, who has been on the show many times, the returning champion. And uh, (laughs) (laughs) she wins. Yeah, she wins. Uh, she recommended it to us, and uh, as part of our listeners' choice uh, deal, so deal. <laughs> you know, it's a deal. Uh, so we're going to talk about that in a second. But first, we got to tell you how to find us on the web. If you want to find us at our website, you can do that. That's www.in-the-q. That's the letter q.com. Uh, you can go there and find all of our postings, and you can post yourself a film just like today's film, and you, we will have you on the show. We'll talk with you about the film, and uh, then it'll go out there into the wide world for people to listen mm-hmm. to. Secondly, you can go to our Facebook page. Uh, you can search on Facebook for In the Q, Q-U-E-U-E, Film Conversations with Andrew and Phil, and there you can find all of our uh, postings, as well as sort of uh, supplemental postings that we put up of various different humorous or uh, insightful clips or articles about the films that we're talking mm-hmm. about. And you can also suggest films that you'd like to hear there. And finally, you can go to iTunes, search for In the Q, Q-U-E-U-E, Film Conversations with Andrew and Phil, and there you can subscribe to the podcast, get every single episode delivered straight to your door. At your doorstep. Boom, at your doorstep, in a parcel, yeah. tied with a like string. Like when, when you get out in the morning, walk onto your front stoop, pick up the newspaper, there'll be a podcast right there that you can get as well. Yeah, yeah, you just have to cram it into your phone yeah. or shove it into your computer screen. Yeah. And there it'll yeah, be. It'll be like a little tablet that you can pick up with your hand. and It's kind of tactile. So you can feel it. Yeah, it's tactile. Squishy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so today we're talking about Tinker Tailor, Soldier Spy. Uh, this is, as I said, a Thomas Alfredson, Alfredson film from 2011. And uh, he had previously directed uh, what was one of my favorite films of the last decade, which is Let the Right One In. Mm-hmm which was a Swedish film that was a vampire tale that is very, very well done, very atmospheric, very wonderful. And he was tapped to make this film, which is a, uh, an adaptation of a John le Carre novel, mm-hmm. uh, who, of course, is very famous for writing spy novels of one form or another. 
And I will tell you sort of a brief summary of the plot here in a moment. But first, Christy, say hi to everybody and tell us why it is you recommended this film. Although I know. (laughs) Well, I'm betting you you think it's because of the absolutely wonderful cast full of wonderful British men who I adore, which doesn't hurt. (laughs) Seriously. (laughs) Um, But I actually I love spy books. I love true spy stories. Uh, I have a collection Mm -hmm. of books about them. And uh I was very excited to see the adaptation of this. I'd long ago seen the 1970s miniseries my mom had loved with uh, Alec Guinness, mm-hmm. but uh, mm-hmm. when they, they, I saw they were doing this and I saw the cast, I'm, I I think we went to see it opening weekend. I was so excited to see it when it mm-hmm. came out. And uh, the fact that not only is it a spy story, it's uh, John Lucari was a spy. And it, mm-hmm. this yeah. is based on actual events. It's based on the... the Kim Philby in the Cambridge Five. And when you know about that and the background that goes into it, it's just so rich and it's so well done and it's so real and I love it. And no one saw it, or at least not enough people for me. Yeah, it wasn't as popular as I think uh, it was expected to be. I remember there was kind of a advertising blitz before it came out. There was a lot of trailers everywhere and uh, and some some posters. I would well, advertising blitz is maybe a bit strong a word. Uh, but there was definitely a lot of hype yes, there's a lot of- surrounding it. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then it came out and people seemed to be pretty lukewarm on that. And we'll talk about that in a minute and maybe why that was the case. But before we do that, I just want to sort of briefly describe the plot. Uh, and because this is a spy film, it is full of twists and turns and revelations and uncoverings of, of you know, various different nefarious deeds. So... I won't go into too much detail on the plot because you d- I don't think you want to have it spoiled for you if you haven't seen the film. Uh, essentially, what we're looking at is uh, a group of spies, pe- folks who are within MI6, which is the British spy agency. Mm-hmm. Uh, they uh, have discovered that they're... Because a, a, an operation goes wrong essentially, and one of their agents is shot, uh, they discover that there is a mole in the top echelon of MI6, and it's one of five people. And a the particular character that is played by uh, Mr. Gary Oldman, George Smiley, is kind of tasked by Control, who is the, the head of the agency uh, to weed out the spy and figure out who that person is. Mm -hmm. And the events of the film are him doing exactly that uh, bit by bit, piece by piece, brick by brick, brick by brick in enlisting the help of, of a few other agents, um, probably most notably Benedict Cumberbatch. Uh, (laughs) Christy made a face at that. (laughs) There's there's those uh those wonderful British men uh, <laughs> coming to the fore, and to give you an idea of the cast of wonderful British men, and this may as well just be a cast of the great currently working British actors. I think in the in the extras they called it the gods of British acting. Yeah, it's it has as we said Gary Oldman, Benedict Cumberbatch, Kieran Hines, Toby Jones, Mark Strong, John Hurt, uh, Stephen Graham. I mean, there's. A, just a absurd number Tom of Tom Hardy also. Tom Hardy, of course, yeah. yeah, Tom Hardy in a very, very uh notable role. Colin Firth. And... Did you say Colin Firth? 
Colin Firth. Yeah, yeah I didn't even say Colin Firth. <laughs> Guys, seriously, uh, seriously. It, it's amazing. Just, it's a, it's an enormous and wonderful cast, and um, and I do think that they all turn in magnificent performances, as you said, Christy. Uh, I don't think that that uh, can be argued, but to speak to the sort of lack of success or the rather middling rating that this has, if you if you go to IMDb, I think it's resting at like a seven point one. one yeah, or it something. is. It's got a very high uh, yeah. meta score, but the popular vote among IMDb users is lower than I think it deserves. Uh, absolutely lower than I think it deserves. And I think that has to do with the pacing of the film. And it has to do with the way that this film is directed and shot. Yeah. And I, for one, love it. I think it's perfect. And I think it's so perfect for exactly this kind of story. Because this probably closer approximates actual spy work. Uh-huh than any James Bond movie or something like that, for instance, which is what people think of when they think of spies. James right? Bond and Mission Impossible are not spy. Exactly. It's it's yeah. going it's action movie. It's going around blowing shit up and it's not subtle and it's not secret and it has nothing to do with spy work. I personally think the movie did not do well because unlike a lot of things that are out in cinemas and that are out in the theaters that people the people go see most this movie requires you to pay attention all the time yeah. Yeah. and you have to think you have to help put it together. Um, it's so interesting. I can't tell you how many times I've watched this movie. I, I, I've if, when I was at home, if it was on HBO, we turn on, I'd seen it five times. I'd still keep it on just cause every yeah, time yeah. I watch it, I see something else. And I was watching it last night and I've got a list of notes of things, especially in the first half of the movie when the pacing is much slower because everything's getting mm-hmm. set up that you don't notice and that, that I didn't notice the first time. Mm-hmm. So when, and Lakari's books are that way too. You can't read it on, you know, the train and just, you know, do something else and come back to a little later. You have to pay attention to Lakari's mm-hmm. works. You have to delve. And it's like that for all the movies and all the books, I think personally. And I that think, obviously actually, doesn't go over well. I think this movie is actually yeah. pretty incredible in, in that regard. And, in the sense that um, if they were if they gave Oscars for best atmosphere, this film would win <laughs> would win yeah. hands down because it, it, as as we have said the the attention requirement is is a hundred percent and uh, it moves slowly and the the people move slowly in the frame and the camera movements are slow and and the, the plot is slow and so you're basically sort of drinking in all this atmosphere. And everything is period in this movie. Um, yeah. This movie I, takes place in the early 70s, late 60s. And I so value the fact that the actors agreed to appear as if they were in the early 70s. Like Tom Hardy's hair, his, his costumes, yeah, yeah. like all the actors' costumes. It's, it just seems like a movie plucked from the 1970s and not a movie made in the 21st century. And the acting all around is very solid, very naturalistic. Um, and but yeah, there's there's very little in the way of vicarious thrills as you would find in maybe I don't know a, a Hitch, certain Hitchcock movies or certain other political thrillers. Um, there's very few gunshots in the film, and it's kind of all about paying attention to see 
what doesn't make sense. And if something doesn't make sense, then that's a clue that something's afoot and then needs to be investigated further. Yeah, and I think that the I think that the sort of genius of this film and what makes it really good and worth paying attention is that it Smiley is the protagonist mm-hmm. of the film. Yeah. And it's it's his story. He's the one who's tasked with un- uncovering the mystery. And he doesn't know much at the beginning. Or he knows a, a fair amount, but the pieces have not been put together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? And so the film, in taking its time and in being paced the way that it's paced, it allows you to go on the journey of discovery with Smiley. You're finding out things as he's finding out things and generally no sooner. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not, it, the, the film doesn't really tip its hand. You know, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't really let you, it doesn't give you information that would spoil the discovery. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and so all throughout you are in your mind while watching it, piecing together the pieces. This, this was my second time watching the film. I originally saw it when it was in theaters and the first time you see it, it's a little baffling and you're, you're sort of, you know, trying to figure it out as you go. And it's, it's not easy to put together. And then the second time watching it this time, I, I knew what the outcome was going to be, but I was still just as wrapped watching it because I was trying to look for those clues and those pieces and those parts of the puzzle to put together. And, and to some extent it was a little frustrating because it, it doesn't let you have that. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't really, it, it doesn't allow you to see ahead, you know? Well, no. so I can understand why this movie would sort of be even more interesting though, on repeated viewings, because in some way you do get to see how things happen. I mean, even though you mm-hmm. already know what happens. Um, but I think that the, the fact that it does have such a consistent, intriguing mood throughout the whole film is also uh, can be credited to the amazing art direction and production design uh, or, yeah, yeah. Or for what the, the most part seems to be just authentic locations that they chose um, to actually film they, in. They chose an abandoned army base outside of London and they just built the sets around that. That way they didn't have oh, to deal cool. with the because if the, if you look at modern London, it looks absolutely nothing like the London that you yeah, see. Yeah. Modern yeah. London's very colorful and very clean. Seventies London was very dirty and not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and so that's that's apparently how they did that. But the the mood is perfect in it from the sets, the costume, the score, which I, I yeah. love listening to score and I usually go for very melodic scores. But uh this guy the guy who they got to do the score also did a, a constant gardener another lacari movie that i absolutely Alberto love Iglesias. oh yes. Mm-hmm. yes uh but it, it's not pretty and it's not something that you'd listen to but it serves the movie and it serves the mood and yeah, the story yeah. so well in it yeah and he was actually nominated for an oscar for that yes, score. both of them actually so. oh also for constant gardener mm-hmm. yeah which also didn't get enough oscar nominations in my book but whatever <laughs> and then let's let's go ahead and talk about the elephant in the room. Uh, one of the other Oscar nominations was Best Actor for Gary Oldman, who yeah. plays a very different role than what he is perhaps more known for, which would be 
hysterical villains like in the professional or 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 or, or Dracula. Dracula or Sid Vicious or very kinds of yeah, yeah. Uh, loud, <laughs> abrasive, out of control characters. Where well, yeah. If there's if there's a criticism that is leveled at Gary Oldman on a semi regular basis is that he is Over the top. overdoing it. <laughs> yeah, he's 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 selling it a little hard. Right. Yeah. Uh, in this case, it's it's quite the opposite. Yeah. The, he does. He's the main character, and he doesn't speak his first line. For 18 minutes. Yeah. And in, I, I, I looked at it last night. I was because I that's something I was thinking in the first 20 minutes of the movie. They do. They establish so much that comes back in the story later. You see a painting on the wall in the Smiley's house that comes in. You see him placing a, a wooden stick in his doorway that then uh-huh. he notices mm-hmm. later on when someone shows up at his house and. Ed. And there's a deleted scene that they didn't put in the movie in which he's just by himself in his kitchen making an egg. He doesn't say where the entire time. It's a very physical, very quiet role. He establishes his character without talking. And throughout the rest of the movie, he doesn't have, except maybe three or four times, a lot of speaking. He mostly asks people questions. And that you, you we see him listening and thinking and putting mm-hmm. it together. So it it's really an amazing performance. On that, this this may sound like a a strange comparison, but that's kind of like Conan the Barbarian. Conan the Barbarian, one of the great achievements of Conan the Barbarian as a movie, like as a a, a visual storytelling, like really well done visual storytelling, is the fact that I think it's something like twenty minutes into the film before Conan says a word. Like it's it's really quite impressive. I, the whole opening of that film is. I think amazing. actually. Uh... Gary Oldman said that Schwarzenegger was like a mentor for him for him when he was yeah that he was a, he was, when he was shooting yeah. Tucker Taylor is like trying to emulate <laughs> the Austrian sensation yeah yeah, yeah. Um, no that is an interesting comparison um, and yeah I mean it happens with other films too you know where the dialogue doesn't start till deep in the film I mean look at 2001: A Space Odyssey um, there's yeah. there's really no dialogue. Unless you count like grunts and and triumphant cries that apes make, um, <laughs> and I do. <laughs> you, yeah, you can count those if you want to. But uh, yeah, I mean, he, but but Gary Oldman, it's like if you're not paying attention to him, though, if you're not like a hundred percent focused on every facial tick and every blink and every curl of the lips, it's almost like he's not even acting. It's just like he's just he's just kind of there. But he, he, he manages to sort of make, especially his face, like uh, an, an example of, of, of acting technique, basically, where to, to convey somebody's skepticism, you know, if, if, if Gary Oldman was, was you know, and he does this often in the film, he wants to convey that he is, you know, unsure of something, then maybe he'll like raise an eyebrow or something. Like it's very much very controlled and very different from from where we've seen him in the past and it's kind of surprising to me to sort of see that we've got an actor here who who manages to you know operate on both both poles basically a very very emotional and very very sort of calm and almost calculated yeah yeah and in the oscar race he lost that year oh to Jean Dujardin, <laughs> who also didn't for the, talk until the end of the movie. <laughs> for, that's true. That's true. 
<laughs> so uh, both excellent performances. But that, there, that was actually a pretty good year. Uh, Demian Bashir for A Better Life was nominated. Uh, George, George, George Clooney for The Descendants, who I think should have won that year. Um, and Brad Pitt for Moneyball, who was also yeah. excellent. Mm. Um, pretty good, pretty good acting here. Yeah, <laughs> not bad. Um, but yeah, I and and his performance though it's the one that is singled out is no. I mean, every performance in this film is impressive. Mm-hmm. Everybody yeah. is excellent. I mean, I don't think that there's a weak performance in the entire film, and I think that that can be partially credited to the the pedigree. I mean, these are all great actors, accomplished actors. And but it can also be credited to the director, mm-hmm. the director Thomas Alfredson. He is, he's an expert stylist. I mean, he is so great at making these really sort of intense, small character studies. I mean, Let the Right One In is a horror film for all intents and purposes, but it's also this beautiful sort of love story and this kind of coming of age thing. It's a lot of things rolled into one movie, and it is also. Very, very patient. It is also very slow. It is also punctuated by moments of uh, of action with long stretches of character development in between, mm-hmm. in essence. Yeah. And, uh, and I think that he is – I think he's really extraordinary. And I, he, he doesn't make a lot of films. He, he doesn't have a lot of output. Actually, I just but, looked him up and he, he hasn't made a movie since Tinker, Taylor, Soldier, Spy – but he's got one yeah. coming up called The Snowman. And it's, yeah, yeah. the description says on IMDb, Detective Harry Hole investigates the disappearance of a woman whose pink scarf is found wrapped around an ominous-looking snowman. I think that's based on <laughs> one of the, the Swedish mysteries that got popular after uh, Girl with a Dragon Tattoo came out. It's based on a novel oh, by, nice. by Yo Nesbo. I don't know if I'm saying that Yeah, that's that from right. the name. I can tell that. Okay. <laughs> I looked it up last yep. night. Good. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, he's 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 he makes such a good use of that kind of drab, sort of industrial-looking parts of the landscape, both in Let the Right One In and in Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. Like he he Tinker Tinker Tailor is such a nearly monochromatic color palette, um, and yeah. it all just looks very kind of well. It's it's. Cold it's War, Cold War. Essentially, you know, like it's it's uh it's Cold War spy yeah. stuff, right? It's it's that it's that kind of Eastern European kind of pallor over everything. Yeah. Brown right? and, and gray. He truly he yeah. truly adhered to the source material and he he made it as realistic looking as possible. Um and he another thing that he did is he he used a lot of zooms. It, like camera yeah. zooms, slow, slow zooms, zooms yeah. which is also something that was very popular in Eastern European cinema of that time period. Um, mm-hmm. Somebody else who did this was Steven Spielberg when he made Munich. Um, both yeah. both of these yeah. directors were astute enough to know that the zoom is a technique that, while it's not that popular anymore, it was used very extensively in those days in those in that period. Um, to sort of draw your attention quickly to something, just do like a crash zoom in to sort of you know if you need to be aware that there's something in the picture that was seemingly unknown a minute ago, now you need to know that it's very important. Yeah, yeah. Or or slow zooms in order to isolate a character from his surroundings. Yeah. 
I mean, that's oftentimes the technique that is used is that you, you slowly crowd out everything that's around the person until you're focusing on what they're thinking, what they, you know, that actor's performance, essentially. It's a very, very effective technique. And it's actually kind of sad to have seen it gone away <laughs> well, some people, for all intents some and purposes. Some hipster directors like Wes Anderson are bringing it back, I think. But um, yeah, yeah. another thing about the, the zooms in, in Tinker Taylor is that while, you know, when, you're, when, a, when a camera lens is zoomed in all the way, it's considered to be telephoto, what that does, I'm sure everybody who's used a camera before, is that when you zoom in on something all the way, you're basically compressing and flattening the background behind the subject. Yeah. And what happens in Tinker Tailor a lot is these characters are being zoomed in from a distance, flattened against the background, and there's something visually unnatural about that. Yeah, and it and it makes for some really impressive moments. The one that I'm speaking of, thinking of specifically, uh-huh. is when they're on the runway. Yes, uh, Smiley and Esther House uh, are on the. Yeah, they're on the runway, and there's one long unbroken shot where they're standing on the runway. This car that they arrived mm-hmm. in drops off Smiley and Esther House, and they get out. They're speaking to one another. The car drives off. I think it, there are a couple of cuts in there, back and forth between the two of them. And then when it returns to the wide shot, we actually see a plane land in the background. And it looks massive in the frame. And it looks like it's descending right down upon right. them. But it it hits the runway, taxis all the way up to where they are. And it takes a very long time for it to happen. It's, a, it's a quite a long shot. And it's a really visually impressive, and all the more so because... Esterhausen at that point in the film is being feeling very basically he's being interrogated <laughs> yeah and and uh right. you know he's feeling the pressure he's feeling like things are closing in on yeah. him so it makes this really wonderful kind of uh visual sort of uh you know reiteration of the mental state of this character it's really yeah, cool that is an amazing scene and that's kind of like an example of like um that's how Thomas Alfredson shows thrills and he and that's why he that's how he yeah. thrills the audience is in a shot like that where you kind of contemplate what you're watching and it and it's intense and it goes on for a couple minutes and you're thinking oh my god it looks like the those helicopter those airplane blades are going to chop off you know somebody's head um yeah. but but that doesn't happen and it's it's a once that plane lands it is an unbroken shot it's all just one take and yeah. it's it's just really you know kind of powerful in a way and it's powerful especially if you're paying attention to it if you're not then it's kind of like oh these old british dudes talking about oh there's a plane (laughs) yeah because the context is is highly important in that particular scene because you have to know you have to know what they're threatening esterhausen with and it has and it has to do with that plane (laughs) and it's it's very important that you understand and and it, and again, this is that kind of uh, withholding of information. You don't really realize what the threat is. You understand that they've, he's been brought to this airstrip and that there is a threat that is sort of being unveiled. But you don't really understand what it is until he understands what it <laughs> <Right>. is. <laughs> and it's like that's that's great. It's wonderful to discover right alongside the characters in a film. You know, I think that's wonderful. Personally, one thing I love with Alfredson and and the, and the writers is that they weren't afraid to have those long stretches with just the camera work 
and without the dialogue yeah. and to tell the story visually. Uh, to yeah, to see yeah. uh, Alaline meeting with the CIA to bring them in with that. There's no dialogue exchange. You just see, hey, there's American flag and there's Alaline walking away and ooh, he looks happy. That's you know, there's that. Then uh, there's a lot of those exchanges that if you're not paying attention and you're not watching, you don't know what's going on. And I like that they're trusting the audience to do that. It may not be yeah. financially lucrative for them to do that, <laughs> but it made for a Sadly, great yeah. film and in the way a spy story should be told. Spy stories aren't yeah. supposed to be obvious. Mm -hmm. they're, they're supposed to be subtle. And, and... Especially because we, we've seen so many of them over the years, and Thomas Alfredson knows full well that you know we've seen a lot of spy films over the years, and this has got to be something that adds something new to the genre. And, and yeah, yeah. I mean, even the Constant Gardener, as you say, you know, it's another Le Carre film. It's an excellent film, but it's also a little more amped up. You know, it's a, it's got a little bit more well, he's, sort of. There's and, traveling in that one, which there's not in this. They're pretty much just that's in true. London. That's that's true. <laughs> you know, th there's there's no, uh, you know, African warlords in London. Yeah. Well, yeah have so. you seen the but the director's cut though? Have you seen that? <laughs> Yeah, the one with all the African warlords. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So no, I oh I, I love I love Constant Gardner. Oh, huge. So good. Yeah. No, it's but, great. Great. Ra uh, Rachel White Vice she, won she her is supporting actress for that. Supporting yes. actress for that. Yeah. Cool. Um. Yeah. So I think I you know this is this is an excellent film. I was glad to watch it again. Um. Again, this is the you know I mean I've said this to you before, Christy, but uh, as you know, the odds are I wouldn't have watched this again for a while, and I'm glad that <laughs> I I was forced into it by you uh, suggesting it because I think that you know it's it's a really great film and it's really well done, and I I just I I just want Thomas Alfredson to make more movies. <laughs> That's really what it comes down to for me. Well, I think this Snowman movie looks pretty cool. I would definitely check that out. Yeah, I'm excited. But you got to figure if it's only in pre-production right now, it's at least years, two to three least, years away yeah. from us actually seeing it, which is sad. Well, I'm sure we'll find something to watch in the meantime. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So, Phil, I'm assuming you recommend it as well. I recommend it. Yeah. Um, it's an excellent movie. I, I think movie fans, you know, hardcore movie fans, people who've seen a lot of movies, people who like suspenseful. Cold War thrillers will definitely find something to, to really like about it. And we know what Christy thinks about yes, it. Yes. Know. And <laughs> I, I do, honestly, I recommend reading the background about the story as well. It's just as interesting uh, as, as the, in, in fact, in some ways it's more unbelievable than the spy movies that you see because what they right. actually did, you would put in a movie and you're like, they'd never get away with it that way. But they did for 20 years. <laughs> right. Right. So I just it, the movie is great. The background story of it is great. I just I love the whole line of it. It's just it's thrilling to me. Lovely. Are there any? Do you know of any like specific books that are about the? Uh, uh, let's see. The um, history. Well, Kim Philby wrote an autobiography after he defected to Russia. So obviously, it's not necessarily a, uh, a trustworthy exactly. narrator. Exactly. <laughs> uh, but it's definitely worth. Uh, it's it's an interesting read. Especially as who he chooses to talk about and who he doesn't, because it was written in the '80s when some of the people he was talking about were still working. 
and the cold and war the was cold still war was in still, full yeah. swing yeah uh if you like uh spy fiction you should read some graham green uh the quiet american mm. he was also oh, a spy yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, of course, the anything by John Lacare, Tinker Taylor, Soldier Spy, The Honorable Honorable Schoolboy, and um, I forget what the third Smiley book is off the top of my head, but he's just amazing. It's just so well written, and yeah, uh, yeah. But uh, if you want to read about the Cambridge Five, there's My Five Cambridge Friends, which is written by their Russian handler. Uh, oh, he actually cool. added the fifth uh, guy uh, in the '90s. So with that book, oh, they wow. didn't discover the wow. fifth man until the nineties. Wow. That's cool. crazy. Yes. It's like I said, <laughs> you wouldn't believe it. It's just, it's yeah. insane. So there you go. Excellent. Well, uh, thanks to everyone for listening. Uh, we hope you enjoyed this particular podcast about Tinker Taylor's soldier spy. And we hope that you will join us for our next podcast when we'll be talking about the new Marvel superhero movie, Ant-Man. Starring the inimitable Paul Rudd in the titular role. <laughs> <laughs> All true. Great. Such a great little way to pump you up to see this film. Oh, yeah. Like... <laughs> that was my, yep, that was, <laughs> maybe I'm pumping myself up the... a little bit. <laughs> Long-time listeners will know how I feel about superhero yeah, movies. Yeah, this is so, another Marvel film, everyone. So if you are is. fans of In the Queue, tune in to see what Andrew's reaction will be to this latest film. We shall see. Uh, thanks for listening, and we will catch you next time. <laughs>